I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is a very special guest. It's a man we're going to have back, one of the smartest guys in swimming. We have the founder, CEO of Form, Dan Eisenhart. What's up, buddy? Nothing much. Thanks for having me back. into some topics but for for anyone who didn't listen to uh the first time you dropped in i'm going to put a link in this post so they can go back and listen to that and you should listen to it before you listen to this one but we'll, let's let's cover a little bit of ground on on what we talked about last time just so people if they're coming in now they'll stay with us uh dan swam at indian river he's from denmark he's uh, got a master's degree in engineering got his mba super smart guy highly motivated and suddenly says you know what I need to solve some problems in the marketplace. And as a result, we have formed Smart Swim goggles. And uh, if, you're, if you haven't seen these goggles, you have to have been hiding under a rock because they are everywhere. Everyone's talked about it. Most of my peers have tried them. A lot of my Olympic peers are like, yeah, have you tried them? I'm like, yeah, I've tried them. I tried them soon. But uh, it's, it feels like it's been, a, it's been a, a, a roller coaster journey since you launched in 2019 um does it feel like that oh yes in every sense of the world it's it's um i, I can't imagine what it's like inside uh you know, you, you are truly a, a tech company and and tech companies are all the rage now they're the cool people and we can be jealous because they are cool but it, it's a um you started talking to me well in advance and i and i i actually tested um the goggles and was blown away. You want to hear a full deep dive on that? Again, go to go to our first talk. Um, where we ended in our last conversation was swimming data and the importance of swimming data and AR, augmented reality, which opens up another door to perhaps talk about virtual reality. So we have one of the smartest guys in tech. We got Dan here now. He's going to hold our hand through it. Swimming data. How does swimming data matter now in 2021? What what is the impact, and what is going to be the impact over the next couple quads? Mel, the funny thing is, swimming data has always mattered, and it matters just as much today as it should have mattered decades ago. But it was lost. Why was it lost? Because it wasn't recorded. Why wasn't it recorded? Because it was extremely difficult to record for coaches, even with 10 stopwatches. It's almost impossible to record everything that happens in the pool. And then not only record it and communicate it to swimmers, but then also keep it in a safe place and easy to retrieve for learnings. So that's why. Um, so with modern technology, and this is not even modern, and we talked about that in the last episode, it's been around for other sports for decades. You've been able to, with GPS and other uh, trackers and sensors, you've been able to give valuable data and insights to cyclists and runners for decades. And swimmers have been left behind in the dark ages. So data has always mattered. And now is the time where we can actually get the data to swimmers. And I say swimmers are not just coaches, but to swimmers in real time while you're moving and also get the same data stored and captured automatically for the coaches. That's, I think, a small revolution. 
You know, the, the interesting thing is that a lot of people that swam at the elite level, and you have a lot of friends who are Olympians. You have uh, you have people that work in your company that are Olympians, and they're, uh, you know, most of us we we evolve through our careers, and and we did it with coaches who are now in their sixties and seventies, and they they did everything by feel. They did everything. It was uh, if you've ever read Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink. Um, yes. They had, they had a lot of mastery and they would just, you know, they, they just knew. And, uh, but it, it wasn't always, what we've learned is that that wasn't always accurate, that there there's data can teach us a lot. And uh, it's, it's something that some of the younger swimmers are now up to speed on and, and they have in, incredible insights, but it's, uh, is there anything that you've learned from the data that you guys have captured so far that's, that, that, that might surprise people? Yeah, I think it's an interesting point, Mel, because there's now actually studies, scientifically proven studies that can tell you that your gut is not very good at guessing uh, accurately. And um, even for competitive swimmers, I saw a study where they went and looked at, you know, with video analysis and electronic timekeeping and all that stuff. And, and even, you know, Olympians, they get it wrong when they were asked, okay, keep, stay on this pace for these eight time 100s. And they were way off compared to swimmers that actually got audio feedback. Uh, and they and they were able to to stay on the pace that they were supposed to be on, and they don't, didn't have to be Olympians to be to be good. We know the impact of compliance to the intended workout for all kinds of sports. That if you do what you're supposed to do, then you're going to have a better adaptation, better physiological adaptation, because experts have put those workouts together. Um, so so that's kind of funny, and and I think even myself, I was not an Olympian. I was also skeptical in the beginning. I was like, well, you know, I've been swimming 1500 meter, training for 1500 meter for my whole life. I know exactly what my pace is, but I don't, and most people don't. So having this aid that can suddenly tell you what you're doing uh, is even, let's say it's not as accurate as an anatomical clock, but nobody is, including the coaches, you know, with the stopwatches, it's definitely accurate enough to be able to give you these insights without even having to think and guess what? Now you have all this bandwidth, all this mental bandwidth to focus on your technique and other things that are actually can move the needle way more. So I think that's an interesting. There's many learnings, I think, coming back to your question. I think one of the learnings that I had was this notion of the relationship between distance per stroke and stroke rate. We know multiply those two, you get speed. But understanding what, how it relates to you for the particular event, whether it's an Ironman or a half Ironman or a 100-meter sprint, how, how it relates to you in the race and how you should prepare for it in training is extremely compelling to look at. Um, and I, I think notoriously, we swim at too low stroke rates and we try to really optimize the distance per stroke. That sometimes is important if you're trying to improve your distance per stroke, but it's the multiplication of the two that gives you your speed. So it's not just sub-optimizing one, it's actually making sure that depending on your, your goals, you can optimize both at the same time in the race situation. That was the biggest insight for me. I might sound like a broken record. I, I can't remember if I said this in our last conversation. I might have, I do say it a lot. Uh, I went and swam for a coach in my late teens, early 20s, and uh, I was number one in the world at the time. And the 200 butterflies name is David Marsh. And David Marsh told me to, uh, he was going to change my stroke in, in several places. I, I, I dropped an F-bomb an F on him and said, no way. But I did it. I trusted him and I did it. And um, 
but I think the biggest impact in, in terms of his change was he, he had me swim two more stroke cycles uh, per 50 in the 200 meter butterfly. And it made all the difference in the world because I wasn't, I didn't slow down my, I maintained my inertia. Um, you know, if he had, if he had popped out and said, here's all the data, there never would have been an argument, but there was an ego argument. If he had just said, here it is in black and white. Um, in, in, in your iteration, it's just like, it's, it's on the phone. It yeah. sinks and it loads. But uh, it, I, we, with, with wearables becoming ubiquitous and young kids adopting uh, tech, adopting this so quickly, are you, are you seeing, um, do, do you see a future where everything in, your, in, in workout, training alone, training with a team, is nothing but breakdowns with data? I do. And, and I think it's not to be looked at as something that's negative or cyborg-like or something that we become slaves of. I think it, it, it frees us, right? Because it gives us that knowledge and it gives it to us much faster and it's gonna be customized, you know, individualized. So it matters to you in that situation. So I think we're gonna save so much time, you know, trying to decipher or trying to break the code for how we can improve. Like we so I always say we can become faster, faster, right? This is really what data does. And if it's delivered to you in real time as well, that learning curve is just going to be way, way steeper. Uh, like look at, real uh, at stroke rate. We have now real-time stroke rate in the goggles. So it's not even after the fact of when you, when, you, when you break at the wall, when you stop at the wall, you can get real-time stroke rate. So if you're supposed to, in a certain interval, be at 60 or 70, or whatever rates per minute, or strokes per minute, then you can monitor that you know, consistently. And then when you turn, you can see what your DPS, what your distance per stroke was, if you want to make sure that you're in a, a threshold. So I think there's that play between, okay, there's big data that relates to you and you can get insights from that big data using machine learning or artificial intelligence. That will just happen in the cloud on the server. And you'll get these great insights. And then there's the, while you're doing it, how can you make sure that you can absorb and learn from that data much, much, much faster instead of having to, let's say, wait two hours, you're on the bus home, and then you've got all kinds of other things you have to do. And now you have to dig through all this data and figure out where you could improve. Nobody's gonna do that. There's too much data. You're getting all kinds of social messages and you have to write emails. And so we're, we're in a world where everything is emitting data, you know, tens of billions of devices, that's just gonna keep on increasing. So, so there's sort of two big problems. One problem is how do we make sense of all that data? And, and then the second problem is how do we serve it up to people? at a time when they can consume it without overwhelming them. And I think those two big problems can be solved on one hand with artificial intelligence, and on the other hand with augmented reality or virtual reality in certain cases, I think it's a little bit more abstract for swimming, but it certainly has a place. So I think, I think yes, we will be in that world. I don't even think it's gonna be just for swimming. I mean, swimming may not be the first frontier there, but for sure uh, we'll see it in everyday life, almost in every aspect of life. It seems like swim has been left out of tech innovation for way too long. It's, it seems like we all were doing the same thing and we were sleeping, doing these same routines. And then suddenly we woke up and this was real. For me, it was that head snapping moment when you, when you flew to Austin and I tried this, I was doubtful and I was wild. Yeah. Uh, why, why, ha why has swimming been left out of, of tech innovation for so long? You know what? I think there's been an assumption that 
swimming is only for um, Olympians or competitive swimmers, you know, and that's actually, while it's a very important cohort, it's a small section of active swimmers. But the, so this market has been underserved. When I was pitching my business plan initially for Forum, the investors that were listening to me were saying, yeah, I get it. You were successful the first time in skiing and cycling, mainly skiing. Swimming is way small. It's a, it's a smaller niche. So even if you hit it out of the park, it's not going to be very successful. And I said, listen, hold on to your seat. There are 30 million active swimmers in the U.S., way more than there are skiers. And a third of them swim more than once a week. And on, in the world, there's around 240 million. It's one of the biggest sports in the world. A small fraction are competitive, 400,000 in the U.S., and I come from that background and we all love, you know, the, the, the sport of swimming. But there's a lot of people out there that love being in the water. And I think that is almost like a, a secret that shouldn't have been a secret. But I, I, I think, I think uh, if, if the world can open up to the fact that swimming is a life skill, it's a huge sport and there's tons of money to be made, which means there's tons of things that needs to be developed for the sport of swimming, then the money will flow and investments will flow. And then we will start to see many more things come to swimming. 240 million, that's a big market. And you've, but you, you've, you've entered this market through the, the, the foundation, the competitive side, and uh, you've, you've moved in to try and, uh, and open water. Uh, mm -hmm. You recently, you did an Ironman, right? I did. Fairly. You did? So, and I, I'm, I, how'd you do? Well, the swimming part was easy, except it was terrifying to not be alone in a, in a lane where you can just watch the black line at the bottom of the pool. Now you're fighting with 2000 people. And uh, so that was that, but it was easy. But um, that the, the bike uh, got a little hard. It was in, in Kona. So on the way back down from Howie, which is sort of the, the, the halfway point, uh, and you suddenly you think you're going to be going downhill and then it's going to be easy. But there's a wind that goes straight in your face that mean you have to actually stand up on the bike to get down the hill. Then it, it, I started to realize that it was probably not such a good idea, uh, but it was, it was fun. I got through it. It's uh, you sound very brave. Um, how did the form smart swim goggles perform? How did they, how did they do in the race? I, I felt like it was almost legal doping because I was standing there and there's really, <laughs> it wasn't illegal because nobody that wrote the rules for Ironman had thought about a heads of display. So I, I, I checked that and I, and I was standing there in the corral with all the other people. And I was like, I actually have live heart rate on my goggles. So I can make sure that I don't go too hard because that's going to hurt even more on the run. And I can just check my pace and make sure that I'm okay. And, uh, and uh, I, think, I think I sold a lot of goggles that day. So, so I think people are starting to wake up to that. Uh, people who, who we know we we're, we're this this is a culture of swimming. We come from swim and uh, and we move to other sports from from the water. But most people and a lot of people in try don't. They're, they're, that is that swim is their weak part. And I imagine they expend way too much energy. They kick way too hard, and they would need to be tracking their heart rate in that swim. You should just take in your goggles. You should just take them off and hand it to somebody out of compassion. Yeah, that, uh, in hindsight, I could have done a lot of activation there. I could have sold a lot of goggles, but uh, so I might have to go back and do it again. You can um, come with me. Would you do it again? Are you gonna? You should do it again. I'd do it again. I, do, I, I actually really enjoyed the experience, uh, and it, it wasn't just the experience being in Kona. I thought that was just absolutely magical. 
Um, but it was actually the process leading into it because I'd never done anything. I mean, I always thought I was a distance athlete swimming 1500 meter freestyle. It turns out that's actually kind of a sprint because when you're doing an Ironman, it's a completely different set of parameters, especially nutrition and heat acclimatization and the transitions. Like I lost 10 minutes in the first transition. So I didn't get, I was out with some of the much slower swimmers, right? Uh, because I just messed everything up in turn, like putting the, you know, shoes on the wrong feet and all that stuff. So, so I think uh, just learning, I think next time I would probably uh, learn how to optimize some of these other elements, especially nutrition, I would say. That was a hard one, a hard lesson to learn. Well, well I'm going to take a pause on this and do it and, and do just a, a terrible shout out because we just have to. My roommate from the first Olympic Games, he was the youngest guy on the team. I was the second youngest guy on the team. Um, he went on, we swam together in college and then he went on and started doing Ironman. He, he held the, the, the race, the, the record for the swim for, all, I think it was over two decades, Lars Jorgensen. But uh, yes. he, I, I, I think that, and he's now the head coach of the University of Kentucky. I think that you need to be in touch with Lars because I think Lars will understand form intimately. Yes, I should. I'll make a note. I'll make a note. He would, you guys would love each other. It's uh, so I'm, I'm going to get back to, 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 to swimming data. And, um, and, and in terms of we have, we have 30 million people in the United States, 240 million people. And I understand that, that swim and they swim for the joy of swimming. They swim to stay fit. They swim for their mental health. But, you know, you want to get you want to know where you're at when you're when you're doing anything. Uh, you want to know how you feel. You want to know how you're feeling day to day. And you can't you, you, we know our gut doesn't work. You have to have this data. It's um, where does where does the, where does where does that sort of data, you know, where, where does it impact the the, you know, your your recreational summer? I think it impacts a lot because one of the biggest blocks or roadblocks for recreational swimmers is motivation. You know, you have to get to the pool, you have to jump in this cold water, and once you're in there, what the heck are you going to be doing in the water? You don't have a coach, so what are you going to do? Maybe you downloaded the workout or saw something on YouTube, but you can't remember it. Maybe you wrote it down. Maybe you did what I did and brought, you brought the phone and then it got all wet and I had to spend like 48 hours putting it in rice to kind of dry it up and it actually ended up working again. But it's just such a hassle, right? And then you have to understand how to use the pool clock and you have to remember you know, when you left and when you came in and then you have other people in the lane and you're trying to learn technique because it is very hard actually to learn how to swim. It goes, it's, it's not as hard as, as you think if you have time and, and mental energy to actually focus on it, but there's just a lot of these roadblocks that are unnecessary. And, and for us, that's, that's what we wanted to take away that pain and give people that flow, that send feeling that I think most people expect and are striving towards, including competitive swimmers when they go to the pool. They want it to be that you're just immersed, it's quiet, and you are just in flow. It's a full body workout. It's one of the best sports in the world. It probably is the best, I would say, in terms of if you look at what it does to your body and then the, the risk of injuries and how long you can do it for, cradle to grave, this is an amazing sport. It's a life skill too. Everybody should be doing it all life, all of their lives. So what we do is we don't only give the tracking piece so you can now you know what you're doing and then see how you improve uh, you know, as, as, you, as you progress. But we can also give you structure now with the workouts that launched last month. And the structure means you download the workout, 
whatever you're looking for, you know, maybe a short sprint workout or, or a medium-sized endurance workout, whatever it is, we've got it. We've got a huge library of workouts. And it'll tell you what to do, when to rest, how long to rest for, what intensity to go at. And it'll keep count. So when you're swimming, it'll go, okay, you're on a third out of eight intervals of uh, 100-meter freestyle. And, uh, you know, last length here, you're in a 25-yard pool, so you're on your last length. And it gives you some extra, you know, energy. So that that uh, having that kind of real time uh, sort of coach or guide in the water that actually does not uh, disturb you. A lot of people think, well, this is too much information. I don't want it. It actually does the opposite. It, it actually makes you completely relax and trust the process, and you don't have to kind of worry about where you're at or what you should or shouldn't be doing. It's it's all fed to you. I mean, that was my experience when I did the test back in 2019. It was that I didn't have to think about it because after a period of time, I, I was, uh, it was, it was, I just accepted. I didn't, I didn't think about, I mean, my, my initial experience was I couldn't believe the display was so effortless. Like I could look in the sun and there, and there it was. So what I, what I, if I needed it, my, I could put my attention there and I had it. And the fact that we got out of the pool, walked over, and it synced, the workout loaded, and I was, I was blown away. If there's anything that you do in swim, it is always wanting to get to a place where you're not thinking, where you're just moving. And it is zen-like. Yeah. Um, so, yes, the, 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 what we're saying makes absolute sense. And, and, and it's most applicable for recreation swimmers, too. M maybe more so when you're alone and... Uh, yeah, there, there is a bit of a hurdle when you're by yourself and you're, yeah. and you're having to go there and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And you're striving for something. So form helps you get there faster. Yes, I think. And I think it's true. And it's more fun at the same time. And I think like that last time we talked about how it, this can be applied, these goggles can be used in different ways, also in competitive swimming, depending on what you're doing and what type of swimmer you are. So it's kind of a tool and your toolkit alongside your fins and your kickboard and everything else, you know, you don't have to use it the whole time. Um, and then for triathletes that don't always have a coach nearby, they can go, they're on a business trip, they can go and swim the program that they're supposed to do. And then their coach back home can see what you're doing and they can analyze the stats afterwards. And then for the recreational swimmers, it's, it's really now you don't have a coach. And you don't really know what to swim, what to do and how to track things. And we, we give everything to you. So it's very easy to get into the sport and also to get back into the water if you, if you know the sport already. Um, so, yeah. It, uh, and, and another thing that we did, and I think this comes back to your point about syncing with the app. We, we wanted to make sure that we didn't just sync all the laps or all the lengths. So you get these hundred lengths and you have to go and figure out where it is that you did your best length or you know, we, we actually have the set view. So you can see the sets afterwards, just like your coach would have written it up on the whiteboard. You know, it's, it's right there. You can quickly go back to, oh, this is my main set, 10 by 100. And you can look into each 100 and each, each length and you can see what you did. And that file, that detailed view, you can export to Excel. So, so you have that data if you wanted. We, we don't trap your data. We give you, we give you your data. And I think that's, um, that's something that we've, like swimmers, not only competitive swimmers, but triathletes and recreational swimmers have really loved. That's a big, that, that, that's uh, you're, you're crossing a huge chasm and, 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 and I'm baffled that it's a, it's something that 
that happened in 2000, by the 2019, we are in the future. And it seems like this, this is a quantum leap for us. So take me on the next quantum leap, augmented reality, because you've got the foundation to go there. What does that look like? What does augmented reality look like through the lens of form? <laughs> so I obviously can't speak to detailed future roadmap uh, milestones. That, that would get in trouble with my team. Um, I, I think if you look at it like broadly, I think we've agreed that AI, AR and AI, AI will be something that we consume in many different aspects of life. I think AR, augmented reality, We've seen, you know, remember Google Glass, you know, back in 2012, I actually thought that was a, a decent piece of technology that they pulled off there, but it was too early. And there's a lot of learnings from that. I think we should just need to forget that and go, okay, there's, there, there is a time when we're all going to really appreciate the fact that we can get information. You know, I told you all those billions of devices emitting, you know, uh, transmitting all this, um, this information that we're not able to consume. Well, there is going to be a time when we can consume that in a meaningful way. And I think the trade-offs there between, okay, having to wear something on your face, hopefully look great, you know, great pair of glasses, just like the glasses you're wearing now, and you get to then get exactly what you need in the moment that makes sense to you and without you having to be distracted and take out your phone and unlock it and go through all the stuff. It just comes to you naturally. I, I think that is, that is a world that we all want. We just don't know exactly how it's going to look like in the day-to-day. But for sports and especially swimming, I actually think swimming is the frontier for augmented reality. And the reason why it is the frontier is because it is the one activity in the world where it makes the most sense, where without augmented reality, you are completely alone and isolated with no means of getting information, unless you stop. And I think that was why I always thought that this was such a good use case for augmented reality. And I I don't believe in in these, um, you know, you have the technology and then you, you kind of find the use case afterwards. I think you find out what is the problem you're trying to solve and then you look at technologies. Uh, but I, I think that's why swimming is so great and it's ready and mature and we're seeing customers buying these goggles and loving the experience. I think you'll see this get expanded uh, into other sports and then eventually into everyday life. Um, and I think I think if you look at what, what AI um, artificial intelligence and augmented reality can do on one side being able to classify complex movements and then uh, make sense of them in real time and that's that's what uh, that's what artificial intelligence does or machine learning does and then augmented reality well that's the way to actually communicate the information to the user so it's meaningful uh, in real time. And if you look at that, it's hard to argue that that is not valuable almost in any context. It's all about the implementation. What companies are actually going to implement something that works for that intended use case in a meaningful way without major trade-offs. And then, so that'll be interesting to follow. For swimming, I still, I don't think swimming is going to change. It's not like we're suddenly going to want to have sort of a virtual reality headset in the, in the water and then we can watch movies while swimming. It's not like you know, on an indoor bike where you have, you just sitting down and it's not as complex, you're not trying to breathe and all that stuff. I don't think swimming is going to change in that sense. There will always be constraints for swimming as a specific use case. So, so, so working within those parameters, I think there's just many ways that you can start to lead swimmers instead of just tracking them. And we're starting chapter one here with workouts so we can lead you through a workout. 
and we can start to give you tips about how to improve. If you think about where that can go, that certainly will completely change swimming, right? Because you, you, you now have this platform that you can do so much with from a content perspective. So we kind of skipped, I think, the good thing about swimming is that we caught up for like 20 or 30 years of nothing happening in swimming and everything happening in other sports. Now we've caught up, we're at par. And now I think we can jump into the content part, which we're already seeing, right? Especially in cycling. Now it's all, you know, a lot of content that people are consuming, whether on Swift or Peloton or, you know, trainer road or other platforms. And I think, how does that, so how is that going to look like for swimming? I think it's going to be the really great question. This is what it looks like. Um, you know, you're, you, you, you keep shepherding your company for a few years and you call me up and say, Mel, you're going to exit swim, swam. I'm buying you. You're going to work for me. And, and I do that for about a year while, while, while we're getting you up to speed. And then I, and then I go, I, I drink a cocktail and go hit the beach. But uh, it didn't have to be. But let's, let's just, just for everyone that, that's listening here on, on the pod, I, I did want to get into um, what most people think of when they think of augmented reality. Probably the, 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 the standard example would be, you know, is, at what point in time will it be possible for me to be trying to do pace? And, um, and I actually have a dolphin or something in that, that, is, that is being projected that, I, that I'm pacing with. Or another swimmer, my swim buddy. Uh, how far off are we from that? Well, I think you raise an interesting point there. So the question is really, to what extent can you gamify the experience in swimming, right? And, and, and I've heard this a lot from customers. And I think it's a really interesting question. I mean, we're listening to all ideas. We have so many ideas. The best ones come from our customers. And, uh, and we're testing things out. My answer is, well, now that we can track and we can track accurately, and we can display more than just metrics. We're displaying workouts, you know, in real time. There, there's really no limits in terms of what we, what we can do. Like, like there, there's, there's so many things that we can do. And the question is, what do we do? What do we choose to do? And the criteria for that decision, obviously, there's all kinds of, you know, how much it's going to cost, how long is it going to take, how many are actually going to love this. But the biggest criteria is we cannot destroy or impede the that joy of swimming. You know, I, I said the same thing when we did the goggles. I'm like, we are not going to start doing anything with software or hardware on, uh, on sort of the technical aspects of the goggles until we nail the goggles. Because goggles that leak, that don't work, they disqualify the entire thing, right? And I think it's the same thing. If we should be very careful about what we put into this experience because people love to swim. You're going in the pool to get a swim. You're not going in the pool to be so distracted that this becomes this completely different experience that people don't want in the end. Then you can sit at home and be gamified, right? So I think taming that technology and understanding when to lean in and when not to lean in, that's always the challenge. And you can get carried away when you're inside the box with the innovator or entrepreneur hat on. You think everybody wants the same thing you do, but not everybody's a huge nerd. And they want something that's just practical and easy to, to use, right? So that is always our biggest experience uh, or challenge. And that's why we, we really want to create that two-way communication with customers. And, and also I'll have like, for example, my wife is a good sense checker. So like, I will just say, you know, and she's a fitness swimmer. And I'll just say, how do you think like this idea? She'll say, I hate it. 
I'll be okay. I, I know that's not, that's not going to work. That's not for now. But, but then sometimes I'll ask a different question, maybe slightly different. And then it's like, oh, that could work. And then, and then, and then, so I know, okay, maybe, maybe if we implemented it a little bit differently, then, then it could work. So, so I think that's, that's always the challenge. And it actually takes longer to dumb things down. Uh, and when I say dumb things down, it's more trying to make it more succinct, right? It, it takes a long, it takes much longer because you have to go through all these iterations. My next question was like, what, what are you going to be doing over the next few years? But something tells me that you won't tell me. You, you, you sound a little tight-lipped, like maybe some things are in development and uh, I'm just going to have to wait and see. Do I, do, I, do I get my phone call? No, I'm coming to Austin. I'm coming to Austin. I got something to show you. I think you know that. I will always show you features before they are released to public. So if I get an invite again to go to Austin, I'll go to Austin. As long as you give me a head start and I'm not going to swim butterfly. I'll swim freestyle. I'll put my fins on. Is there any sort of teaser? Is there any sort of preview? You know, what, about, you know it's in terms of what your life's going to look like in the next 24 months? You know what? I, I have never been able to predict the future. And I think when it comes to business and startup, um, it's even more difficult, right? Because because what I, what I do know is that if you're not agile and ready to listen to input and, you know, changes in terms of perception or uh, just learnings from people actually using your product, because there's a difference between having a thousand people swim into your product, half of them friends, family, and super early adopters, and then having 100,000 swimmers of all types of backgrounds try your product. So you have to constantly be open to changing your assumptions about, about what works and what doesn't. And I think, I think that's what I think successful companies are able to both stay the course and know what's the North Star. You know, we're breaking down the barriers between what swimming is and what it could be. I think we're, we're there. And then we want to still maintain, we want to make swimming a source of joy for everyone. You know, because most people will go, ah, yeah, I used to swim in high school, but I, I, crap, I can't swim anymore. Or, you know, I used to be a competitive swimmer. I don't get in the water anymore because, you know, I remember those cold mornings uh, workouts swimming at 6 a.m. And I don't want to get back into that. So we, we want to just like go, hey, swimming is awesome. Water is awesome. It's good for you. Get back in the water. Um, so I think, I think we'll be, we'll be continue, we'll, we'll continue to listen to that feedback. But I think if you look at the big themes, it's going to revolve around obviously augmented reality. That's the DNA. And I think machine learning, I think we knew that we needed machine learning for the classification so that we could detect what type of stroke you were swimming and all kinds of other things, you know, but, but I think, I think the learning is that we can use that for much more to give you more valuable insights than what you're getting at the moment. And I think I'll stop there. We're talking to Dan Eisenhart, CEO, founder, form. If you haven't been there yet, or you checked out this post and you did it before we did, before we started talking, good for you. But if you haven't, go to formswim.com, formswim.com. You can also follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at formswim. Get that follow going on. They have great media. Um, and, and I did this in the first episode. I'm going to do it in this episode. I'm going to, I'm going to put up some of your, some of your videos and so that it's coupled with this podcast. Do you have any parting thoughts? I would have to say that swimming is fun. Swimming is fun. And I'm a former competitive swimmer. And I said this just a few minutes ago, but I've rediscovered swimming. 
And not just because I get all this data, because that's not really just it. It's just with workouts, jumping in the pool with workouts was just a game changer for me. It might even have been a bigger game changer than the first time I jumped in the pool with our with our first prototype of the goggles where I could suddenly see the metrics and I started to see my heart rate. But that whole notion of just like being in the water and being able to follow this workout without having to think, that to me just like 10x my joy of swimming. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.